0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
1: good morning everybody happy wednesday you're watching squawk box with the magnificent jeffrey cutmore and you got me as well steve so these are your headlines Uh, apples smashing earnings expectations with all product lines posting double-digit growth and Chinese sales jumping almost 60%. But the stock falls as the CEO Tim Cook warns on the chip shortage.
2: The majority of constraints we're seeing are of the variety that I think others are seeing that I would classify as industry shortage. The big tech
1: blowout continues as Alphabet tops forecast with surging ad revenue, whilst Microsoft also beats the street and sounds a bullish note on the second
0: half. Morning, Steve. Morning, everybody. Deutsche Bank numbers are due shortly here, with analysts expecting the bank to swing back into profit with the second quarter Despite some trading headwinds, we'll get details on those imminently. We'll also hear in the program from the CFO James Van Mulker. That coming up in about 30 minutes' time. We're also focused, of course, on Santander, the Spanish banking giant, reports a 3.6 billion euro first half profit and says it is on track to outperform targets for the year. We'll also hear from the CFO of that bank over the next 30 minutes.
1: Plus, the luxury comeback continues as Caring almost doubles its revenues, almost doubles its revenues, extraordinary. With the end of lockdown restrictions pushing sales of Gucci products up by almost 90%. Right, there's an enormous amount to get through. We've got so many, I'm, i kid you not, some days we're just making this stuff up, but some days there is, there, there is really a lot of exciting stuff going on today as well. I'm going to start with Deutsche Bank, okay? Now look, this is a stock which has had a, a really solid rally this year. It's up uh, 18%, 18 18.7%. So thank you, team, for showing that. That's exactly the point I wanted to make. But it is a stunningly lowly rated stock in terms of valuation. Despite that rally, it trades on a price-to-book of 0.38. To put that into European context, that is less than half of the price-to-book valuation of UBS, OK? So it's trading less than half of UBS. But there is some good stuff around as well. And the fact that they've had a rally and they've got a plan to get this out of this. Uh, and I'm just going to give you some numbers, OK? Uh, and then we'll have a quick chat on this one. Deutsche Bank reports profit before tax of 1.2 billion euros in the second quarter. Net income uh, of 828 million euros with post-tax return on tangible equity, the, the important rote figure, well, it's 5.5%. Now, of course, compared to European peers, it it's not as much as they want it, but it is better than it has been in many ways. Uh, the core bank profit before tax rising 90% to 1.4 billion euros. Um, but there are some issues in here, uh, and I need to think, Tom, I see a Uh, a cost-income ratio of 76%, I say, well, you're not actually reining in your costs as well. Uh, And I know this is an area where the bank really wants to concentrate as well. In fact, I believe that... uh, uh, we've already had comments from the company here we go. The CEO says we reaffirm our commitment to the 70% cost income ratio target as well. Uh, but quite frankly, even 70% is higher than the perhaps is where they want to see it um, for the group. Uh, they've made some ESG commitments, record quarterly ESG financing and investment, volumes of 27 billion euros. Uh, net revenues up 7% in the first half of the year. Uh, to 13.5 billion euros. But there's so much to unpack in there. On a normal day, we'd just go straight to it. But there's so much else. But we will speak to James von Moltke, uh, 7.30 central European time. Now, Spanish bank Santander has reported a first-half profit of 3.6 billion euros and says it's on track to outperform its profitability target for the year. The lender's bad loan ratio came in at just over 3.2% by the end of June. Now, what is that? Is that an indictment of the bank or the huge stimulus and support we've seen from the central banks? I'll leave that one hanging because at this stage of the cycle, only 3.2% bad loans. Well, I think we can all ask our own questions there, can't we? We're all grown up enough to do that, aren't we? Well, it's core tier one ratio hit 12.1%. We will hear from the CFO. In fact, we'll ask him those questions. Uh, that is uh, Jose Garcia Cantera. Uh, we'll speak to him also at 7.30 uh, Central European time. Don't know how we're going to do that at the same time as the uh, James von molker but we're very clever.
0: Anyway, Jeffrey, is it a beat from Apple? Uh, it is a beat from Apple, Steve. And yes, we should circle back to these bank uh, earnings because I think there's quite a lot to talk about. But obviously, Apple uh, beat expectations quite handily. Uh, a 36% rise in third quarter revenue was the headline number. Sales topped... $81 billion, nearly half of which was driven by a 50% rise in iPhone sales. Revenues uh, from services also strong, such as iCloud and Apple Music, growing by a third to around $17.5 billion, while sales from other hardware came in at over $24 billion. So you'd expect the share price to rise on the back of that beat in expectations, wouldn't you? However, despite the blowout quarter... Apple shares traded lower in extended trading after CEO Tim Cook warned the industry continues to grapple with the chip shortage that will likely impact device sales next quarter.
2: The majority of constraints we're seeing are of the variety that I think others are seeing that I would uh, classify as industry shortage. We do have some shortages uh, in addition to that that are where the demand has been so great and so beyond our own expectation that it's difficult to get the entire set of parts uh, within the lead times that, that we try to get those. And so it's uh, it's a little bit of that as well.
0: Well, across some of the other tech stocks, uh, we also saw strong numbers. Google parent Alphabet popped in after hours trade as the company easily beat earnings estimates. Quarterly revenue coming in at just under $62 billion on the back of this 69% rise in targeted advertising income. YouTube sales were at $7 billion just trailing Netflix earnings over the same period. But CFO Ruth Porrett suggested pandemic headwinds are expected to calm as economies reopen. And Microsoft shares edging higher in extended trade after the company put in a beat on the top and bottom line, with quarterly revenue rising 21% year-on-year. The tech giant reported growing sales across all units. However, it warned revenue from Windows licenses is expected to dip as the chip shortage hits PC makers. But let's come back to those Apple numbers, Uh, Paddy Flood joins us, Global Sector Specialist uh, for Technology at Schroder's. Paddy, good to have you with us this morning. Um, I mean, obviously, the comparisons uh, were favourable on the year-on-year, but these were still very good-looking
3: numbers. Good morning yes they are incredible numbers really right um that sort of more than 30 percent growth at the group level is 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 really impressive particularly uh the all-important iphone franchise which grew 50 percent um but but you're you're right to note the sort of after after hours market reaction um and i think it's it's a function of several things one being the lack of guidance on the next quarter the second being the supply issues you alluded to Um, But the third and I think most important thing really is what the shape of growth looks like as we head into next year. Um, And as we've got sort of more than or close to 40% growth so far this year in the iPhone franchise, and that's a predominant driver of revenue, it's right to start asking questions as as to how growth for the iPhone suite looks next year.
0: Paddy, we we continue to ask the question around the maturity of the smartphone market. And quite frankly, we've been asking the question uh, since the days of uh, Nokia and Ericsson leadership. Um, Why do we need to be concerned at this point that iPhone perhaps won't continue at this run rate? Well,
3: I think it's fair to say that it it definitely can't continue at this run rate because 40% growth year on year in in an already well-penetrated market like smartphones is is pretty hard to achieve. Um, And then when we look back at the last year, there are probably some factors that worked in Apple's favor, um, largely around sort of COVID-related tailwinds in terms of uh, perhaps stimulus checks or savings benefits for for their customer base, um, along with the sort of 5G upgrade cycle, which is arguably pulled forward a fair bit of demand from future years. Um, I think on, on the conference call last night, they did mention sort of record upgrade rates in the quarter. And, and when you have record upgrade rate rates, it does sort of reduce the potential for upgrades in the following year and the years after. Um, so I guess with that exceptional growth this year, with those other factors on top, it, it, is, stuck. it is right to start to being worried about uh, growth in the next year.
1: Um, Paddy, Um. We know that the regulatory headwinds are there on the horizon, especially for the likes of Google, the likes of Amazon as well. But where would the regulatory pressure come down on Apple as well? What, what is the focus there?
3: Yes, yeah, it's a good question. So I think the, the, the most acute regulatory pressure, at least in the near term, is around the sort of uh, Apple tax on the Apple store, which is the sort of percentage charge levied on, on transactions that flow through the Apple store. Um, it's pretty hard to get any, as, as it often is with regulations, to get, to get any sort of tangible um, data points at the moment. But what we can say is that the direction for those take rates is more likely to be down than up. Um, and, and any movement on those take rates would have a fairly or could have a fairly big material impact on, on group level revenues and profits, because the app store is likely to be a fairly highly, highly profitable and fairly large part of their services business. Um, So pretty hard to get concrete uh, estimate changes as a result of regulation, but that's, that's how I think it would manifest itself.
1: And um, the other thing that we're seeing, and we're watching aghast in many ways for many investors of the the actions that have been taken by Chinese authorities in China, which are looking at consumer protections and and, and other issues in the various markets. Can any of this affect the companies that actually make their phones in these countries as well, if we're seeing a raft of uh, new rules coming in from the Chinese authorities looking at their tech sector?
3: To be honest, I think it's it's too early to start drawing conclusions like that. Um, and I think the sort of supply chain for the iPhone has has been out of the limelight with regards to what's going on at the moment. And for that reason, I I don't see a big issue at the moment. Um, The issue around probably making the iPhones is around those supply constraints that that, that Tim Cook alluded to uh, on the conference call last night more than anything else.
1: Paddy, very nice to hear from you. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Nice and early this morning. Uh, Paddy Flood joining us there to talk about Apple figures. Right, uh, Let's move on. Uh, Caring sales nearly doubled in the second quarter as the relaxation of coronavirus restrictions helped to drive demand for luxury goods. The French group reported just over €4 billion in sales driven by its powerhouse Gucci as demand recovers in key markets in Asia and the United States. Uh, Busy, busy earnings day today you might have noticed, uh, we'll be talking to some of uh, Europe's top C-suite executives. Later in this hour, in fact very soon, we'll be speaking to the Equinor CEO Anders Olpedal. We'll hear from the CFOs of Deutsche Bank in Santander from 7.30 Central European time. OMV outgoing CEO Rainer Schiel, will join us at 7.45 CET, followed by Smurfit Kappa CEO. 8.15 CT Later on, Juliana will speak to the Nissan CEO, Makoto Ushida-san, uh, in an exclusive interview. That's coming up at 11.15 CT. I'm told, Jeffrey, that the podcast is vintage.
0: Oh, absolutely. If you miss any of those earnings first time round, you always have an opportunity to catch up with the numbers. Yet again, make an appointment to listen to the Squat Box podcast. We'll be back. back, everybody. Steve, a little secret that I know you're uh, into is um, how I spent my holiday. My wife had me doing a lot of decorating around the house, which meant that I was putting paint on walls. And she commented, um, isn't it surprising how expensive paint is? These days. Well, I think you could use that uh, term with a lot of things, but it brings me neatly to the BASF numbers. This is the world's largest chemical producer. And they've effectively just solidified that view that we are seeing some price pass through going on in the chemical sector at the moment. So BASF reporting a better than expect- expected second quarter net profit as it both managed to increase volumes and prices And that obviously uh, helping in terms of the reported numbers. Uh, They've given us a net income line of 1.7 billion euros compared to the 1.4 billion euros expected by most analysts that were polled.
1: Uh, Equinor's second quarter core earnings have risen sharply to $4.6 billion, but the recovery was less robust than what analysts were expecting, apparently. The Norwegian oil and gas, uh, well, energy major, I think, that they would prefer to be called these days, said the results were supported by higher prices and strict capital discipline. Let's get to Anders Opadal, who is the CEO of Equinor. Anders, really nice you could join us today. Thank you so much for your time. Look, it was so simple for uh, energy CEOs of past. They just had to get as much oil and gas out the ground as possible, as profitable as possible. Now you have to look at all kinds of things from clean hydrogen to offshore wind to CCS, what have you. How are you managing that juggling act, sir?
4: Well, yes, as you said, we are now um, a broader company. Uh, We are producing oil and gas, but at the same time, also electricity, and we're looking into hydrogen, and we are working with uh, carbon storage projects. But at the the same time, still, oil and gas will be our main product for some time, and we are in this quarter delivering solid uh, results with strong performance and and high production, despite we are within a maintenance uh, season. So we're trying to keep an eye on, on all of the markets that we're in now.
1: It's very interesting you said for some time on oil and gas, because I know as well as you do and, and, and the industry, that the industry wants as much oil and gas out of the ground as pos- for as long as possible, so it can pay for that transition as well. Do so the governments, investors and consumers appreciate the role of oil and gas in the transition?
4: Yes, we, we developed a strategy now that we presented last month, that where we're accelerating our transition at the same time as we are growing returns and cash flow. Uh, we will uh, continue to grow in oil and gas. We see a demand uh, for oil and gas still in, over the next years, and then eventually this will uh, uh, decline at the same time that we are accelerating our growth in renewables, uh, where we are Im- improving particular on offshore wind where we see have, we have uh, been an early mover and do have a competitive advantage uh, compared to many many others uh, uh, here. so we, we will kind of balance this with uh, both producing oil and gas, uh, capture the high prices in the market, at the same time investing for the long run uh, with renewables, low-carbon solutions like hydrogen and carbon capture and storage.
1: Very interesting that you should answer my question about government support with an offshore wind answer, because I want to tie those two together as well. Because I know that you've been not bemoaning, but you are very interested in governments opening up a lot more offshore wind capacity. Are they holding you back, governments? If so, where?
4: Well, uh, not holding us back, but uh, I see that a lot of governments, they have announced a lot of targets for uh, offshore wind. Uh, and I think they're doing their utmost to to bring those targets forward. But at the same time, it takes time to, to put those uh, out for bid, it, uh, the concessions and so on. So the industry and the governments need to work together to see how we can actually accelerate those uh, processes and make more area available to the whole uh, in. In industry, Because, uh, you know, you see that for many of these uh, uh, new uh, environmental and, and climate uh, buildbacks coming from the EU, the US, uh, e, uh, UK and Norway is all about, you know, making more renewables uh, faster.
0: Um, Anders, just on that point, you're obviously building a portfolio of wind and renewable assets at this point, but you're not alone in wanting to do that. Um, How do you make sure that you don't overpay for those assets when there is currently something of a gold rush going on?
4: Yeah, that's a very good question. And uh, I think, uh, you know, we are focusing on value over volume uh, when we are growing in renewables. Uh, We have been uh, an early mover into this market. So we have... Projects now in Dogger Bank. We have Empire win uh, We have Beacon. We also received a contract in, in in Poland. So we have already a big portfolio, and our focus now is to execute on that portfolio. So we can be a little bit more balanced on new acreage, uh, you know, depending on the price as well. So we will be quite uh, disciplined uh, in this, making sure that we are not overpaying and that we're able to provide the returns we have promised uh, the market. Uh, also within renewables.
0: And you talked about just coming back to the oil and gas business, benefiting at the moment from the higher uh, price per barrel. Um, What's your interpretation of what we've recently seen unfold in the OPEC negotiations? I'm obviously uh, aware that Norway is not a party to that, but um, are you comfortable that the uh, OPEC and um, OPEC-plus uh, union has actually got the right strategy, given how quickly the global economy seems to be re-accelerating. Is there a risk here that these high prices uh, kill off the golden goose too soon?
4: Well, uh, of course, it's always a risk. But uh, what we have seen over the past year is uh, is quite a good of collaboration within the uh, OPEC plus. So There's uh, quite a lot of discipline. Uh, there is discussions, but uh, what we have seen that is uh, is discipline both in the kind of in, on the supply side, both on the OPEC plus, but also on the U.S. unconventional and the build back there as uh, as, as well. So uh, at the moment we see that there is discipline on the supply side. There is a little bit kind of uncertainty on the demand side is increasing, but we are still in the pandemic, and uh, we might see close downs in so uh, different parts of the world, and that could affect uh, the demand. So we are actually expecting that uh, we we'll continue to be kind of price levels around what we are seeing, but we are expecting volatility uh, going forward. And we saw that in earlier in July where the oil price dropped over a few days from uh, from 76 to 68 uh, dollars. So we, we will think we will continue to see that uh, volatility, but, uh, but also that uh, it seems like OPEC plus is, uh, is quite disciplined uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, and just, uh, While you, you mentioned the word discipline, let, let me just ask you about your business specifically then. Um, how easy are you finding it to uh, really keep down the um, cost per barrel that you produce at this point, given that we're hearing so much talk of uh, inflation, uh, particularly when it comes to labour?
4: Well, we have a a long-term project portfolio, very competitive uh, uh, portfolio. Uh, this is a portfolio we worked with a long time. It's be, we have been very transparent with the supplier industry uh, about this. We have secured long-term contracts. We have uh, rigs uh, that that we need. Uh, we have uh, also the steel we need, and so on. So we are we're seeing some of these uh, movements in the supply chain, uh, but uh, still uh, we have h- h- hedged a little bit against it. and And the, I think the key now is that we need to be as oil and c- uh, gas companies be disciplined. Uh, you know, building back uh, to, to higher uh, su- to, su- supply, ensuring that we involve the supply uh, in industry uh, in, a, in a good way such that we don't get these big ups and downs, uh, particularly the uh, oil service companies.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to
1: CNBC.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.